0: BreakFix Podcast is all about capturing the living history of people from all over the autosphere, from wrench turners and racers to artists, authors, designers,
1: and everything in between. Our goal is to inspire a new generation of
0: petrol heads that wonder, how did they get that job or become that person? The road to success is paved by all of us because everyone has a story. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. I wanted to give you a heads up before we head into this episode that we did have some technical issues with the audio. We've done our best to make corrections so that it's easier to listen to. But unfortunately, you know, there's always challenges with internet connection, the different systems that people are using, the audio quality itself. So please, by all means, sit back and enjoy this episode. The content in it is amazing, but our apologies for the quality right up front with activities taking place on asphalt, dirt, mud, grass, and even in the air. From camping with your friends and family, riding with world-class professional drifters, or enjoying music from a variety of artists, Hyperfest is the destination for those who want to be immersed in one of the premier automotive lifestyle events, and offers numerous activities to enjoy both on and off the track over the course of an entire weekend. And with us tonight on Break Fix to talk about the 20 year evolution of HyperFest is founder Chris Cabetto, who you might also recognize as a lead from the National Autosport Association, also known as NASA. And joining us in the conversation tonight, along with Chris, is Matt Rockle, social media and marketing director for HyperFest. So welcome to Break Fix, Chris and Matt. Hey, how are you doing, man? Good to be right. here. Hyperfest just celebrated its 20th anniversary here at the end of the 2021 season. But before we get into that, why don't we talk about how it all got started? Why? Where did the idea come from? And where was the very first Hyperfest?
2: I was scared is really what it came down to. I'd started the NASA Mid-Atlantic region. It was actually called NASA Virginia at the time. At that time, the National Autosport Association pretty much existed just in Northern California and Southern California. When we started the East Coast, we were the only region. There are now 13 regions. We technically made NASA national and for what it costs to rent a track out, I was really just trying to figure out a way to get a lot of the tuner guys on the track. At the time I had a, I had another job. I was I was working in the medical industry when we started NASA. In my travels, I would find these guys, you know, in the Hondas and in the 240 SXs and that sort of thing. And they were built as road racing types of cars. I would talk to them and say, hey, you know, you guys know that you can take your car to the racetrack and put that thing on a real racetrack, right? And they'd be like, Really? At the time I was I'd be in Northern Virginia and some points about our hour, 20 minutes away from northern Virginia depending on where you are, they had no idea that you go and take your own car in the track. And certainly one of those guys to come out and put butts and seats, basically, on the track. It got me thinking about how I could do a car show or something along with the regular NASA event. Oddly enough, I get a phone call out of the blue from a guy named Mike DeFord, who was working with Carlisle at the time Carlisle Car Shows in Pennsylvania. He was a NASA guy had moved from California who... Carlisle, Pennsylvania, to take over the call the Sport Compact show at the time and made it a pretty big success. Called me because he was just trying to get people to, uh, he had some extra slots for vendors and like NASA and said, Hey, you're the local guy, I want to come up. So I went up there and I displayed and you know, talked to people and He and I just became friends, and I don't know, one night, probably after a glass of vino and a plate of pasta, we were talking about, hey, wouldn't it be cool to do a Carlisle type of event, like the car show and everything else, but do it at a red course and introduce more people. And really, that's how the idea of Viperfest got born. And the main idea really was just, hey, let's do a car show. And then he sent me a video, and he said, do some drifting. I'm like, what the heck is drifting? And he sent me a videotape. This is 2001. So he sent me a videotape. I couldn't understand a word because it was all in Japanese, but it was smoky and it was cool. I said, we have to have this at Hyperfest. And that sort of started the whole circus. Let's do everything that we would think would be cool as kind of dorky car guys and put it all in one spot. That's really how it started. But, you know, like I said, I was scared. And the reason I was scared is because I had a lot of money that I had to pay the tracks. I didn't get participating in NASA events. And so I was just trying to fill the top of the funnel with new people and get them involved with what we were doing. And and I love the sport. I mean, I loved road racing. Yeah, uh, it took me a long time to find club racing. You know, I always wanted to race, but my exposure was always IMSA stuff, and that was just very expensive. And I didn't realize there was a whole club level type of thing out there till a good friend of mine took me, and his dad was racing at Summit Point, and I went, "Oh my gosh!" It opened my eyes and realized that it's actually within most people's grasp is to go take a car on track, as Matt will tell you. When I get a hold of something that I like, I'm hard to get to be quiet about it. I think Shut up. So the HyperFest is really sort of an extension of my own voice.
0: Here we are at circa 2001 Summit Point Raceway. HyperFest is born at about the same time as the E46 was debuted, right? So we're going to put it in perspective where our petrol heads of a certain age... <laughs> Right, but what did the first Hyperfest look like? How many cars showed up? How did it go? Did you feel that you had succeeded in achieving what you wanted, and and you went to Hyperfest two, or was it eh, we could have done better? Let's try again. I
2: think if I would have had no expectations, it would have probably been a wonderful thing. But you know, our expectation really was to have ten thousand people out there, and I think the first year we had eight hundred, and so I went into it really with the expectation that you know, we would have the crowds like we do now, you know, back then. So that was a little disappointing. However, in terms of proof of concept, and honestly, the smiles that got generated by you know, everybody that was out there, it was enough to say, hey, let's try this again. And actually, we did two of them the first year. We did one at Summit Point. We did the other one on the Rival down at Charlotte. One was in, I think, July, which was very hot. The other one was September at Charlotte, which is also hot. And, <laughs> um, you know, it just sort of went from there. I don't I don't know that I would say that it was exactly how I had envisioned it, because to a certain extent, you know, you're trying to find content that is going to appeal to car guys and still be able to manage that in a new event. For the most part, yeah, I mean, we got the first one done. So from an operational side, it was great. We had the bands there. We had bikini contest. It's turned into the Daisy Dukes contest later on, which we don't do that anymore at, at BIR. You know, we had the drifting that took place. If you go to Summit Point, you run the main track through the carousel, basically down five, the whole way through nine. You talk to any of the drifters, it's one of the best tracks that they can run on. It's great for spectators too. Yvonne I mean, Gittin Jr. was the winner of the very first U.S. Drift Nationals, which had his genesis at Hyperfest. We claim, and, and believe this is correct, that we were the very first pro-drifting event in the country and they were terrible all of them were terrible you know i mean they were entertaining but from a completely different bond was actually the least terrible out of them all that's generally how you win right
0: that's right <laughs> that's, that's the right. least worst <laughs> the least worst uh he obviously
2: has gotten better. he's just a great guy so. and then we had i think the next year the year after that we had forsberg win it and uh, we've had a lot of guys come through that are now pro kind of stuff. But anyway, to the original concept, yeah, it was exactly what we had sort of thought about and it was nothing like what we had sort of thought about. It was definitely in the end. I saw a lot of guys like me or just goofy car guys, petrol heads, gear heads, and they had never seen anything like it. And when you see that on somebody's face that you feel a brotherhood with, yeah, you want to keep doing it.
0: So, like any project, right at the beginning, everybody's bright eyed and bushy tailed and excited to get things off the ground. And then there's a bunch of lessons learned the more you do it. And obviously, you did it twice in the first season and then HyperFest, let's say, I guess three and then four and then so on down the line. If you count them in, in sequential order, right, what did you learn in those first couple of years? How did you get to year five? Right. Cause that's always a big milestone for a lot of projects. And then you get to like the seven year itch. Like, do we continue? What do we do? How do we change? We can't keep repeating the same thing over and over again. And once you cross that hurdle, the next 13, it's like, how did you get there, right? So walk us through the evolution process of HyperFest. We just
2: really wanted to put a good show on. You know, I mean, we did a tour in 2003 in, uh, in which we did Pittsburgh, Charlotte, Summit Point and Cal Speedway. And then the following year we did, let's see, we did Charlotte, Summit Point, in Sonoma, we only did three that year. You know, what I learned really from that was that the market wasn't ready for the event. We were too far ahead, really, of the market. That sounds bad to say that. I don't, I don't mean it to sound like I'm some masterful soothsayer. The reality is, is the vision we had was not yet understood. It was way too subtle for the market at the time, which was, you know, a bunch of clear taillights and bad, really large exhausts went on Honda Civics. The higher performance side of kind of what this event represented was just lost on the aftermarket. Yeah, you, know, you get to seem, uh, it seemed like 90% of the, and this is not right, but it seemed like 90% of the, the people that were displaying were like the clear tail lights and stickers and things like that.
0: It's okay, yeah. Chris. 27% of all statistics are made up anyway. So it's all good. <laughs> what we learned really was, I think on the operational side, what people liked, what got people.
2: Interested, certainly I learned a lot about marketing to that group of individuals, but I would say really the biggest thing was sort of the operational side and what pieces and how to place them. I learned that there are a lot of people who will say they'll do something, but don't. I've learned that when you find somebody who really you know knows what they're doing and does a good job for you, that you do whatever you possibly can to make sure that they stick around. It's just critical because this thing is such a detail monster. You have got to have some really excellent people in each one of the categories. And learning yeah, how to manage my own expectations.
0: Absolutely. I mean, a, a lot of what you're talking about is like managing any large business or, you know, group of people. I mean, there's all that, you know, HR side of things, but also don't take this the wrong way. It sounds like a logistical nightmare because there's so many events going on within the larger umbrella of HyperFest. And we'll dig into that a little bit more as we go on. Let me ask you this, two goals here, because your original goal was bring, as we call them, the stance bros, right? The Tudor crowd into the DE world to help foster NASA. So A, was that successful? And B, what was the biggest flop? in maybe those first five years where you're like, man, we should have never done that.
2: There are two NASA national champions that got their start, hyperdrives, hyperfest. A typical NASA HPD is a two-day event. At the time it was about $250 a weekend. It's now doubled that inflation, but we were trying to get people on the track. I'm like, man, if I can get somebody on the track, I gotcha. And so that particular car that you see behind me, the license plate says track dealer. I just need to get them on the track. So we did these things called hyperdrives, which is a 20 minute session on track with a NASA instructor. You start to go through all the classroom, start to go through all the tech, but basically it becomes a taste test. That was the way that I wanted to introduce them to the road racing side. And sure enough, you know, we have two national champions, a lot of people podiumed actually at NASA nationals. Their first event ever was a hyperdrive. We have a guy in Honda challenge right now. He was in the car show and he had spent oodles of money on the show car. Said, Hey, I'm going to go do this hyperdrive thing. Went home from Hyperfest, started ripping the car apart and turning it into a race car. So I would say I would consider that a success. I mean, I think that, you know, to introduce people to NASA and keep sort of filling the top of the funnel with enthusiasts, I think that that was a very good. In terms of something being a a flop, really. I don't know that we've had anything that's really major as a flop because, you know, we've just always been just so methodical about the things that we added. And every time we added it, making sure that there was some sort of demand for it, and then also coming up with the logistics to make sure that it happened correctly. I'll tell you a funny story in regards to music. We have an excellent partner who's been with us forever, Paul Reed Smith Guitars. They're based out of Stevensville, Maryland. And they provide guitars for a lot of people. I mean, you know, for Santana. And for Navarro and mayor. the list goes on. They had a relationship with Theory of a Deadman. It was a bro deal, basically, it's been long enough. I'll tell you what it was. It was $10,000 that, you know, we're going to pay those guys to play. Had a great stage, all the rest of that kind of stuff. I think it was in July. It was in July and it's tend to be Thunderstorms in the mid-Atlantic area. Well, there were a lot of storms that were coming through and we're getting phone calls from the airplane because Theory (laughs) of a Deadman was still in an airplane doing loops around BWI, if I could call anything a fail, they couldn't get out there in time for us to hit the sound curfew that Summit Point had with their neighbor. So I had to stroke a check for $10,000 for Fear of a Deadman to play.
0: So, oh, man.
2: I guess maybe that was a flop.
0: If it's, you win some, you lose some, right? They're all lessons learned. The program continues to evolve as a result of it, right? You take other precautions, you change measures, etc. et cetera. But as I look over the 20-year history of HyperFest, I wonder, though, if it gave way to programs like GridLife, which started in 2013. I wonder if they found their inspiration through HyperFest. Of course they did. Chris is a good guy.
2: They're great to show up there. I think they're very fortunate in the fact that they had their idea at the time the market was ready to accept it because that was about the time we started seeing interest, you know, in Hyperfest from the marketplace that was out there. And when I say that, I'm talking about the manufacturers for sponsorship and things like that, people that you would typically see at SEMA. And now it's gangbusters. I mean, this type of lifestyle event is really the way to go because it's multifaceted. It used to be, if you go back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, really into the 90s, you know, the race itself was the show. You know, with the advent of internet and phones and and everything else that's going to take your attention away. You really have to come up with something that's going to be multifaceted in order to keep people going. But I know that there was an event called GT Live, like Grand Tourism Live. Those guys were out of California. I knew the guys that ran that. They came out to Cal Speedway when we were out there, Cal Speedway, and they saw that. And they decided to put a, a Los Angeles spin on it and do some traveling. They didn't end up lasting. I don't exactly know why they folded. That was one that was definitely a copycat. There are some others that have sort of come around. It takes a lot of work. I don't think people realize exactly the dedication that goes into putting one of these things on. So it sounds like a real sexy idea until you deal with a logistical monster that it really is.
0: You know, we've been talking a lot about the origin and the history of HyperFest. But for those that are tuning in and listening to the story for the first time, we haven't gotten around to explaining what HyperFest really is. Let's talk about that. Is it a festival? Is it a track event? What kinds of events go on during the course of the weekend? And let's expand upon some of those.
2: Oh man, I mean, that's the greatest thing about Hyperfest is all of this stuff that is going on. And most difficult thing about Hyperfest is all the stuff that's going on. The idea is that really, I've had Jeeps, I've had go-karts, I've had four-wheelers, side-by-sides, race cars, motorcycles, everything that is on wheels. My kids bought them power wheels when, you know, when they were young, they played with power wheels. And so I'm a car dork, you know? And so we just, I'm like, all right, well, We have some space over there, how can we fill that up? There's some space over over there, so how can we fill that up? And so the idea is that if you're a petrol head, you may have your particular discipline. You may like road racing, or you may love drifting, or you may be an off-road guy, whatever it happens to be, but you can appreciate all the other things. Even though your main goal, you may be a road racer, I'm still kind of looking over there going, huh, that's pretty cool 35s on that Jeep. Or, hey, you know, that's how do you get the angle on that drift car? Whatever it happens to be, there's a natural tendency to sort of blend and you know, and fold into into all the different types of disciplines. But anyway, it's centered around road racing. So really it's centered around road racing and drifting for the most part. And we started this at Summit. But VIR has got a phenomenal off-road set of trails, a couple of off-road obstacle courses. And so if you want your side-by-side or you have your four-by-four truck, Jeep, whatever it happens to be, and you want to come out and you want to play in the dirt, you can do that. NASA sanctions rally. As a, as a showcase for everything NASA does, is part of those things. And you know what? There's a rally course. There's a rally course at Summit Point.
0: There's a rally course at VIR. I got to ask for everybody that's listening that's been to VIR, myself included. I've been there like a hundred times. Where is all this off-road stuff at the I've never seen it.
2: <laughs> well, it's hidden. And that's one of the challenge, honestly, that we've run into. When you come in, before you make the left to go down the hill and go across the bridge, if you just keep going straight and go over to the where the go-kart track is, if you know where that is. Yep. If you're standing in the go-kart track parking lot and the go-kart track is actually behind you, directly to your left is the rally course straight ahead. It's actually a um, heat shooting range, but we turned that into a rally slash off-road course. And if you kind of go up on top of the hill and it's back in the woods, there's a really, really good optical course. The trails are the whole way along the Dan River. And so basically if you're going down the front straight of the main track of the full course BIR, over on the left-hand side is the river. Between the trees and the river, there's a trail. And so that trail goes the whole way, wraps around turn seventeen, goes the whole way down the back straight and all through the hills and everything back there. It's an amazing facility that's thirteen hundred acres, and we do our best to trying to use up every inch of it.
0: I'm having one of those '80s NBC moments now. It's like, dude it is like the more you know right like i would have never known that <laughs> now that i know i'm gonna be looking for it though hey don't but feel really, bad man i didn't
2: know it was there either for the longest time that's really cool
0: but, you know and jokingly we played around with forza messing around with the infield of vir and created a rally cross track yeah. that's as close as we ever got uh-huh. to doing that and now i'm like next time i go down to vir i gotta check this out this is pretty cool
1: The greatest thing about Hyperfest is you can walk around, you can see something for 15 seconds and decide you want to go see something else. There's never nothing going. So like with every other event, there's typically only one thing to do. And that's you could have multiple stages and you have different acts, but that's the only variation of experience that you get. With Hyperfest, it's so, so broad and all-encompassing that you can see three, four things at a time. Chris has said this a lot in conversations that I've had with the average road course driver, it was like 40 to 60. One of the main reasons that I was brought in first place was try to bridge that gap and really make them realize that it's not as much out of reach as you think the fact that there is so much going on with my generation and below. Everything is so distant, even to show someone a post is difficult challenge. Having so much to do and look at is great as you can get those people to pay attention, if that makes sense. I mean, that's just something that I've noticed that's very unique. the a powerful asset for us to have so many things going on. For the whole team, it can be very stressful. When you see it all come together and you're just either riding your pit bike around or your golf cart or whatever it is, which is the fact that you're not only immersed in sports, but most of the people that are riding around are riding around. And that's not something you see at any other festival. You try to drive a moped through the middle of a crowd at an electric daisy car or some kind of music festival, but you know, you probably get back. It's welcome. It's like bring your toys and literally have as much fun as you want. You know, as long as you're being safe. And that's another thing. It's like constantly seeing like negative publicity about festivals and injuries, stuff like that. And here we are with one of the highest potentials for injury, but we don't have it. because it's like Chris has done an amazing job curating some very positive. We see it most in the NASA paddock. Whenever I'm around NASA mid Atlantic, it feels like your family. You know, as cliche as that might sound, like Chris doesn't market it, just does it. He makes you feel included. I think that's why at the core of it, so strong.
2: I was, I'm the last of six kids. I love Thanksgiving and Christmas because it was bonkers. Man. We had tons of people. You know? It's just even more fun when you have 15,000 people out there.
0: I mean, I'm not trying to date you, Chris, but it feels like Woodstock for car guys, right? I mean, it's kind of like one of those deals. We actually thought about using
2: that as, as a tagline. Oddly enough, I don't know if you know the history of BIR, but basically it started in 1956, I think, or 57. They got shut down in 1974 by the farmer that they had the land. And then they reopened again in 2000. Whenever they're getting the permits and stuff from the county, they were talking about the use of the facility for things that were other than basic road racing stuff. They said no Woodstocks. We figured Automotive Park they'd probably a better tagline.
0: I had it's it's a close second, that's for sure. It would be kind of cool to use that tagline if you did historics though, right? Some cars from the period, it'd be kind of neat. A themed HyperFest, I guess. I'm full of ideas. If <laughs> you all week, try the veal. <laughs> on this list, if you go on the website, hyper-fest.com, tons of events on there from drifting to the track events, time trials. You've got the car shows, road race, off-road experiences you're talking about. you got the exhaust burnout, all this kind of stuff. And then there's one that sticks out. We've actually talked about this event on several of our drive through news episodes because they are just so comical every time they surface, which is the Coney Power Wheels attack by Redline Oil. Let's unpack right. going down a racetrack in a Power Wheels. I want to talk about the reels. I want to talk about the limits. I want to know all about where this came from because it's awesome.
2: I'll give you the history. Chief Operating Officer of VIR, James Kerrigan Smith. He was just an awesome, awesome guy. A lot of fun. Brian Eggert, who is sort of my compadre in this, who is a—he's actually a Formula D judge. We're doing a state business. We're thinking about, hey, let's take these Barbie cars, call them Barbie cars, Barbie Jeeps, and let's do one of these crazy things down on the backside, down through the woods. And we looked at the hill that was there. It would be awesome, but we're probably going to hurt somebody. So we sort of tabled the idea. Well, it never really left Kerrigan's mind. And one day he's out there with his six-year-old daughter and had talked about doing it on the roller coaster, which is from turn 14 down through 17. His daughter has a ton of guts, man, I want to do that. I want to do that. And so Kerrigan apparently convinced his wife this would be just fine and got her at the top of the roller coaster in the pickup truck behind her with his wife in the passenger seat and she started going down. He's following her in the pickup truck and he starts 20 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour. 30 miles an hour, 35 miles an hour. As Kerrigan puts, hour, she got started getting the depth humble in the steering. And my wife's going, whaf, what I can't believe you let her do this. To her credit, she bailed out. Driver's ready to hit the grass. It was, it was all done. That's where we got the idea. You know, I'd love to say that I came up with it. I just propagated it. Kerrigan was the genesis of it. The first year we did it, I think we had about 20, like 28 people that participated in it. The rules are simple. You got a power wheels car. Can't modify the wheels. You can't put rubber or anything on the wheel through the plastic wheels. You have to pull the motor, pull the battery out. The Red Deck Soapbox Derby. You know I mean? You have free wheel down this. We've had Andy Lally, pro road racer, came in second. He was in a fire truck. James Clay has run the thing.
0: He's been our show twice now. Just wanted to point that out.
2: Oh, James is great. Look I will have so much fun. The gamers went down. He's like, woo, those things are a handful.
0: Bill said uh,
1: Fielding Schrider ran it this year.
2: That's right. Fielding Shredder ran it. But I mean, the main thing is, is that it's a goof. I mean, you win a hundred bucks. We don't want to make it worth cheating or spending a lot of money on it. Although I'm fairly certain there might be a little something that's not exactly stock on some of these vehicles.
0: So quarter uh, balancing, maybe just to get a... Other, that's right. It's it's
2: about fun. You know, this year we decided to introduce some elements from Mario Kart. And we built some jumps that have the, the lit arrows on them. Uh, no, you'll see that awesome. some of the videos that, that are coming out. And people dress up. What it's turning into is, it? you ever see the, uh, I think it's the Flugentagen,
0: Flugentog? Flutogs from Red Bull. Right, yeah,
2: the, exactly, the Flutog. It's a lot like that, you know, in that people are showing up and dressing as Batman and they're running their Batman power wheels. You know, we have somebody dressed up as Luke Skywalker. You know, they had the, a speeder car. We had one guy dressed up as, I uh, what's her name, from Frozen, beard and everything, in like a frilly dress in a Frozen sleigh. That's a Power Wheels thing.
0: It's great. It's so, cool. so, what you're saying is a miniature lemons race is what it really is. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Anybody melon upside down? Yet?
2: These, I haven't seen that yet, but if somebody watches this video, I'm sure it's coming next year.
0: There's a lot going on, you know, between the vendors and cart racing. Obviously, VIR has available. You've got kid zones. You've got contests. You've got concerts. I mean, that sounds like a lot of stuff going on in what two and a half days. Does anybody actually sleep at HydroFest? <laughs> Not there up the, the,
2: near the Patriot Circuit depends on who you ask. It, it, that's exactly right. Okay. There are people who do get a chance to sleep, and there's some people that's basically between the gallery and Patriot Circuit, that's where the stump championships happen. It's not official types of DJing happens, but it's thumping pretty good up there. I might maybe once or twice have visited that group on a Saturday night. I <laughs> do enjoy. I do enjoy me some stuff. <laughs> do, you know, do you have
0: any idea what's you know what stump is? I can only imagine that. Please enlighten me.
2: This is a game. So basically what it is, is you get a huge stump. I mean, literally a wooden stump. Oh, and, uh, this is
0: not what I was thinking. Okay. <laughs> oh,
2: no, this is the game. You know, you stand around. Everybody gets a nail. You tap your nail in a circle, right? Around the ridge of the, uh, ridge of the stump. You tap your, your nail in, and you have to have it in there enough that it'll stand up. And then you get a hammer. Everybody has a hammer. So everybody stands around in a circle. Everybody has a nail. Your goal is hammer everybody else's nail in, so you're the one that has your nail still sticking out, even if it's just a little bit. So the rules are, if you take the hammer and you flip it up in front of you and you grab it, you get one hit. Now, the thing is, is that once you grab the hammer, you can't adjust it. So however you grab it, that's how you have to hit it. Let's see, if you throw it under one leg, you lift a leg, you throw it up under one leg and grab it, that's two hits, okay? Again, you can't adjust it. If you adjust the hammer, you lose, you gotta pass it along. And if you toss it behind your back and you catch it like this, you get three hits only in the way that you caught it. It just kind of goes around the circle and you try to nail everybody else's nail. And if you're the last one standing, you win. And I got to tell you, Brian Edigert from U.S. Drift and the guy who runs this stuff and also a judge, he's just like stupid good at this.
0: Again, hidden talents of people, right? But then again, I yeah. don't know. How to even react to this? But my mind is still processing what you just explained. I, I guess that leads me to I got to come to the next Hyperfest to come check this out because it's one of those believe it when yeah. you see it type of moments. Talking about expectations for somebody who's going to Hyperfest for the first time. Obviously, Hyperfest moved around a lot over the years. It was at Summit Point quite a bit. Now it's at VIR. It's found a new home. So if I'm going to VIR for Hyperfest for the first time, what should I expect? Like, how does it work? Am I presented a schedule? Like if I'm going to the INSA race at VIR? I mean, how do you figure out what to do and where to go? And, and where does it cost? And, you know, what are some of the rules for all these different events, especially the events where people can bring their cars?
2: Depends on what you're doing, right? You know, if you're doing a hyperdrive, it's basically NASA HPDE rules is really what it comes down to. You need to have a helmet. We do have some loaners for the hyperdrive people. If you're HPDE during the entire weekend, you'll bring your own helmet with. What I would say is that, you know, you take a look at the schedule and take a look at the map because it's a really big facility and really take a look at what you want to see, take a look at what time those things take place. We do our best to try to not put things on top of each other. Sometimes they over, they, they will overlap just because that's there's so much going on. We do our best really to, to buy them. My suggestion would be if I were coming, if you don't have a golf cart or some sort of a paddock vehicle. You plan on renting one there or you plan on bringing something along with you because once you're parked, that's pretty much it. There is so much going on that if you like to camp, there's a lot of space, it's a beautiful facility, it's just gorgeous. So, I would say if you can get on and find a camping, people really like the trackside camping that gets sold out very quickly, but they really like that a lot. Really pick what it is that you want to do because, in terms of the cost, we try to keep it as reasonable as we possibly can, but there's a lot going on. We are less than some of the other events out there I do that on purpose because I really do want to have people to come and have fun. And once they come through the gate, it's a limited number of drifting ride-alongs, a limited number of rally ride-alongs, off-road, that sort of thing. You know, we charge for those things. So you have a ticket to get in. I mean, literally, if you get on right now, it's what, $60, I think? 60 bucks is an early bird. We have a a limited number of those. Those are going to run out here pretty soon. 25 left. There are 25 left of those, okay. $75 will be the next ticket. That'll be the main ticket price. Once you get to the, it'll go to 90. So it behooves people to try to get their tickets early. Camping's pretty inexpensive. To camp for the the weekend and car camping, 60 bucks. If you're there for three you buy it right now, you have three days of fun, plus your camping for $120. That's less expensive than just about any other type of festival like this that I know. But so you can divide
1: you know. your camping spot up.
2: Right.
0: What does that, let's say, general admission ticket get you access to? You mentioned that the ride-alongs are a separate cost and there's a limited number of those. Camping is a separate cost. That's an add-on. What else does that general admission get you access to? Just kind of roaming around and seeing the other events? But if you want to be in like, say, the power wheels of that, do you have to pay for that separately? Obviously, the DE has its own cost. So what is included in general admission and what is a rider? So in general admission,
2: you know, you obviously get to spectate with everything. If you want to participate in games like the blind driver golf cart, we basically have a golf cart out there. The driver has a blindfold on. The passenger is the one that is telling him where to go. Two cards that compete against each other through a course, whoever makes it back to the start-finish line first wins. That doesn't cost anything and you win some some significant prizes there. PRS. If you like to play guitar and you play guitar, we have a shred contest which you can win a seven to eight hundred dollar Paul reach guitar. If you think you know how to perform but really don't know how to play guitar, there's the PRS Air Guitar Contest. And so you can jump in there. And if you're really, really good at an air guitar contest, you get the prize of a real PRS guitar, Paul Reed Smith guitar. You can participate in uh, the Power Wheels downhill simulators. And and that doesn't cost you anything. doesn't cost you anything for the burnout contest. doesn't cost you anything for the, the sound off. And all these things have prizes associated with them, either, either tchotchke kind of stuff or cash or gift cards, you know, that, that sort of thing. The kids zone doesn't cost anything. You go in there, we have bouncy houses and things. Get a huge soccer ball that they moved around. And then there are a lot of the vendors have activation as part of their marketing packages where you you might be able to get a ride with Boggett and Junior because you love Monster. You might be able to get a ride with Adam LZ, that sort of thing. And all that stuff is free. There's really a lot of stuff to do and see with your entry.
0: For the folks that want to come down and do the HVDE part, obviously there's also going to be coaches. And if they're running a standard HVDE weekend, maybe a club race mixed in there and a time trial, as is the NASA formula, do those folks get to enjoy and experience other parts of Hyperfest? Is there enough time? Is it more of a limited or not maybe as many run session DE as we'd expect? I mean, how does that time get divvied up or is it just everything so busy everybody's hyper focused on their different parts of hyper fast.
2: think if you come out and you run the racing and the HPDE side, you're probably both focused on what you are doing on track. But the reality is that we don't shorten any sessions and we don't skimp on any sessions for the HP. It is a regular NASA weekend that we just overlay this circus on top of. Those individuals that are participating in the HPDE, the racing, they'll have time to get out and see some things. We tend to wait the entertainment stuff on Saturday Toward the afternoon and into the evening. So, you know, we'll finish track operations at 5 30 to 6 30. You know, we have a lot of racers that they take their racing suit off, you know, they put their Batman suit on, grab their Power Wheels car, and they can make the Power Wheels thing. And then they've got somebody meet them up at the burnout contest with their car, and they go out there and do the burnout contest. So there is time. And we do that on purpose because. We want the people that are our regular NASA people or anybody that's doing the HPDs to still be able to enjoy the festival portion of this.
0: Obviously, if you're participating in the different motorsports disciplines that are going on, they're going to follow the rules and regulations of the different disciplines within NASA. So if it's rally, it'll follow that in HPDE, club racing, et cetera. So all the standard tech, everything that goes on with those events that you're used to doing on a regular weekend still apply in the case of HyperFest. And okay. that's the easy part. Getting everybody organized and tech for the power wheels downhill, that's a challenge. One question that always comes to mind when you're talking about DEs or any motorsport events in general, does track insurance cover HyperFest? You're talking about if you're a DE person? Is it considered because it's a festival and part of something larger, is track insurance still available for an event like HyperFest?
2: Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go to Haggerty. Haggerty will write it because, like I said, it's, it's a regular NASA event. And we tend to separate out the NASA paddock, not so much that we're trying to be exclusive. It's just that we have 525 registered drivers that are participating just in the regular NASA stuff, the time trial Ultimate track car challenge, you know, that we put on for grassroots sports, the racing and the the HPDE stuff. If you take a look at the number of drivers that we actually have participating, whether it's drifting or off-road rally, whatever it is, you start to creep into the 900 participants. You start adding in riders and everything else. It goes well beyond a thousand for somebody who is actually physically doing something in a car or in, you know, something on wheels.
0: So what's attendance like in the last couple of years at Heighter What are the numbers looking like in terms of people being there?
2: 2019, we were just about 11,000. For 2020, we didn't have it. And for 2021, you know, it's interesting. We were just about the same as numbers. We were slightly lower by like I don't know, 80 people or something like that for 2021. And I think this particular year, if you take a look at the way the ticket sales were, you know, we opened up ticket sales. I want to say that it was in May. We broke the internet. I mean, that's how many people were trying to get on to buy the things. I think we were expecting 200 to 250 people to hit the site. At one time, we were having 1,200, 1,500 people hitting the site at one time. We we weren't prepared, honestly, for that. We are now. Our tickets are 300% higher than same time prior to in 2019. And then the Delta variant started creeping into things. And you could actually watch as the scare and concern you know, with the Delta variant happened. You could actually see the ticket sales sort of start to drop. And we did. We had people that were like, hey, you know, we love this event. We had people that saw some of the videos that we put out day of. We got messages going, ah, that should have come. From our perspective, given COVID and all the goofy stuff that happened, it was still a good year. We certainly expect that to grow pretty substantially from May.
0: So are tickets available through hyper-fest.com or do you get them through Motorsport Reg, where we you know, sign up for all our other motorsport events in this area? How does that process work?
2: Yeah, we don't use Motorsport Reg as ticketing. We actually talk to them about doing the ticketing. But again, it goes back to all the stuff that's going on. And Motorsports Reg does, I think, a great job for regular events. But for something like this, they just couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle the ticketing and, and all the different nuances are there with HyperFest. So we're using a customized system, but either way, that's the back end side of it. Yes, if you want to get tickets, you go to hyper-fest.com. Hit that get tickets button and you can go get from tickets.
0: There. I noticed as I was looking through that, there's a bit of a kind of bundle package, the grassroots experience package. Do we want to expand upon that a little bit? Tell people what it's all about. Is that an all-in-one, all-you-can-eat sort of deal?
2: In a way, we haven't confirmed what those packages are going to be like this year. It wasn't an all-you-can-eat type of a thing. It's very difficult to do an all-you-can-eat type of thing because if you do that, it gets pretty costly pretty quickly. Yeah, I don't know. I still have to actually have the conversation with GRM in terms of what packages that we're considering. Likely what will happen is it'll be to get in some third parking camping and some access, sort of VIP type of access to places.
0: What we were just talking about is a great segue into the future of hyperfast. So, big question. Is Hyperfest going to be a VIR next year or is it moving? Are there going to be multiple ones? Beyond a 22, what do the next couple of years look like? And let's put our thinking caps on. Let's talk about the future, the distant future. What's the next 20 years of Hyperfest look like? Good Lord. I'm
2: still alive. (laughs) (laughs) This one just about killed me this past year.
0: We're going back to VIR.
2: It's a wonderful facility. Every time we do one of these things, I wonder if they're going to want us back. But uh but VIR is phenomenal. You know, you know, one of the owners there, you know, Connie Nyholm is just, she's awesome. You know, she gets it. She loves everything from the IMSA stuff to the crazy lawnmower racing stuff, you know, and, and power wheels down. She loves it all. As a matter of fact, I was riding around in a golf cart with her a couple of years ago and we we're sitting there and she brought it up. We're trying to figure out where we're going to put a a demolition derby. Her idea. just Yeah, no, we'll be back there in May, and there's no plans to move it any place. You know, number one, that facility is gorgeous. Number two, as a multi-use facility, there really is not another facility out there where we could duplicate this completely on the same facility. Are we thinking about some other venues? Yeah. Summit Point actually still is a good place, maybe, but that would be an augmentation. It wouldn't be a substitute. You know, it would be an augmentation to the thing. There's a pretty well-known circle track with the road course conversation with today. There's another track actually, that's on the East coast, the facilities are, are pretty good. So if we expanded, you know, we thought about going to California, you know, we're, we're open to just about any place. And the cool thing about Hyperfest is that we can expand it to pretty much any road course across the country. I don't necessarily have to run the red racing and the HPDE side of it. I have NASA regions all over the place. If so I can call Northern California and say, hey, we want to run a Hyperfest in Sonoma, Jerry Kunzman's the guy who started all of NASA a million years ago, and he still runs the Northern California chapter. And he'd be like, yeah, man, let's figure out how to do it. His answer is just like mine. It's always yes, unless the logistics say no or make you say no. Yeah, where will we go in the next couple of years? You know, we'd like to maybe expand it out One or two more events. I think that we're probably going to keep it somewhat close to home on the East Coast just because that's where our assets are. But we've done it in California before. know what it takes to put one on out there. So We may do that too. It's a matter of trying to find the facility that's in a good enough spot geographically that is willing to work with us, preferably an independently owned track because some of the ones that are owned by the corporations tend to be a little more strict guidelines
0: with what you're allowed to do. So it dawned on me, the one event I didn't see on the list, and I'm wondering if maybe this is in the future and I could see it happening at VIR. Have you guys thought about bringing in the autocross guys? We
2: talked about it a lot, actually. There really isn't a spot. It's very difficult to do it. If the skid pad was extended, and there was some talk about may make the skid pad a little bigger, but that's still a pretty small pass for a typical autocross there was actually an autocross they ran up in the south paddock and that was run by and it was, it was an employee i can't remember who exactly who it was at bir but they wanted to do it i'm like yeah sure man whatever go have at it and that lot was just so small it really wasn't that much fun and i love autocross and i wish there was a big enough spot out there to make one that's fun but one of the challenges that we have even if we did what we do on the skid pad is where do you stage the cars because there just is no space right there. Can't put them on the main road. If you put them in the grass and it's wet, I mean, it's just, it's a logistical problem, not a content wish we had it kind of a problem.
1: The way that I would answer the, where do you see hyper what would be our focus rather, a lot of attention has already started to go into it. We like to see more so of developing it from just a festival or once a year event into a household lifestyle brand. A lot of that happens when we do more events. So we definitely see some traveling circuit sort, like they would still carry the core of Hyperfest, but where I see it going is that each one would vary in its own way, depending on location, bring in different cultural style, stylistic element that might pertain better to that area of the country, something to add had our first international attendee, somebody flew from England, to come to HyperFest. Where,
2: international, baby.
1: Yeah, we're getting, the, we're getting the word out. Um, I think a lot of HyperFest marketing for years was done solely by word of mouth stuff. We're moving into the digital age, getting word out there. And that's something that I would love to see grow year after year. And it seems to be working. Our demographic is shifting a little bit. We're seeing a lot more younger crowd start to get interested in participating. That's great to see because we know that the future of the festival is secure.
0: Actually, all very good points and leads me to a question I generally reserve for our kids, which is how do you see that what we call the EV revolution or the evolution impacting future of HyperFest and or how is your team embracing the change in the automotive landscape as more and more EVs are coming on the scene? Well, I mean, aside from wanting to
2: drop a Prius from a helicopter at some point, it's just, I like EV stuff, right? I love new technology. I sometimes don't really appreciate the optimism of EV vehicles being a panacea. However, I think that, you know, Elon Musk did a great job of, of making them sexy and fast. And the styling can be obviously, you know, is, uh, I have the beholder, but a Plaid is a fast, fast vehicle and you cannot deny that. So if you're a performance guy, I like anything fast. I mean, I just like fast stuff. You know, when you drive one of those things, you can't help but to be impressed. They come with some limitations with regards to track time and, and racing. A lot of the tracks are slow to embrace it Because if you don't have chargers, you do a 20 minute session in a Plaid or a 25 minute session in a Plaid, you're done. You have to charge the thing up, which takes a while. You have to have the chargers that are are available. The only track that I know of, and I haven't traveled to them all certainly, but the ones that we're associated with is Summit Point. I think they have three or four chargers at Summit Point, that's it. As it continues to grow, you're gonna see more and more of these cars, but really the limiting factor is going to be, how do they get charged? Our schedule is such that we've got enough time in between races time in between HPDE sessions, somebody could plug in and you know, on a supercharger and get enough juice to continue, you know, throughout the day. From an EV perspective, and when I say EV, I don't mean an electric vehicle. I'm talking about emergency services perspective. You know, there are some logistical things you have to make sure that the fire guys are aware of, and most of the tracks knowing that whether it's a hybrid car, high performance hybrid cars that have the electric side of it, or it's full electric, they already know. The safety crews from the tracks already really know how to handle that stuff. It's four wheels and a motor, man. I mean, you know, four patches of rubber on the track. You know, we're all efficiency experts, right? We're trying to get around the track in the fastest amount possible. It doesn't matter to me what power plant is. Help it to love the rip of a normally aspirated Ferrari V8 or V12, an inline six from BMW. An S-52 or an S-54 uncorked is just beautiful. That's the only thing I could, that just bugs me, man, about the sound. I mean, the electric things don't make any sound. (laughs) They're in performance, but I'm old school, man. Power is, is, I want something loud. I want something to rip. But either way, we're all brothers in speed as far as I'm concerned. Whatever weapon you bring to the table is what you think that you can wield best way. And let's go
0: have fun on some wheels. Well, guys, this has been a lot of fun learning about the circus that is Hyperfest. So, you know, I use that term lovingly because it really does feel like maybe the American version of Goodwood, the Festivals of Speed and the Revival kind of combined into one event in that flair that we have here stateside. So... And to Chris's point, we are all brothers and sisters in speed and in motorsport. And this is a great way to pay homage to that, get us all together a few times a year and celebrate our petrol inspired and petrol fueled enthusiasm at a festival like this. With that being said, presented by Grassroots Motorsports, Hyperfest is the largest automotive event on the East Coast touted as the Automotive Amusement Park, and 2021 marked the 20th anniversary of Hyperfest, and we're looking forward to Hyperfest 2022, and we bet you are too. So for more details on Hyperfest, visit www.hyper-fest.com and follow them on Facebook at Hyperfest1 or on Instagram at Hyperfest. So congratulations to Chris and his team on 20 successful years of HyperFest and many, many more to come. That's right, listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out our Patreon for a follow on Pit Stop Minisode. So check that out on www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports and get access to all sorts of behind the scenes content from this episode and more. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.